This is Purple Radio On Demand. Welcome back to Motorsport Backpage. This week we're going to quickly recap the IndyCar race that less famous St. Petersburg and the rest of the racing last week before moving on to MotoGP season opener preview with a bit of F1 testing report in between. I'm Ryan Shea and let's jump right in. So I went into the IndyCar racing season of 2022 last week with a bit of excitement hoping that the season opener will deliver some interesting race results or anything but it was surprisingly quiet there wasn't much major racing major incidents going on there was an early caution caused by the number 18 david malukas which i did preview last week as a rookie he crashed caused a caution but that's all there's to it to any major racing incidents there wasn't any sort of contact or major overtakes for the lead or whatever scott mclaughlin took a very convincing pull and broke away from the pack very early before the caution bunch him back but he pulled away again anyway and went on to take the checker flag pretty quick um the caution caused by number 18 benefited two shot strategies massively over the three sort of strategies which if you don't know about any car strategies there is a prime compound which is the black tires that last a lot longer than the red optional compounds but there's also refueling you have to consider so for this race, they, it was much more preferably to run two sub strategies with only one stint on the red tires than maybe running three sub strategies with the a few more stints on the softer tires or something because you will have to use both sets, both types of compounds like Formula One races does for most of, most of them. But it's pretty much since you can't overtake for IndyCar even in St. Petersburg, it's a very small, tight, and twisty street circuit but with a major front stretch based on a close airport. But it's all you have and there wasn't much racing going on in my opinion. There was some sort of strategy between overcuts and undercuts when coming to the second round of pit stops for the two stop strategies, but there wasn't too much going on. Alex Pelot from Chip Ganassi tried to get close to Scott McLaughlin towards the end, but it wasn't close enough and Scott McLaughlin took the checker flag with about three tenths or four tenths to spare, which in IndyCar terms is pretty massive, either just because of how close racing are. Um, Penske's number 12 Will Power finished P3. Colton Herter in the number 26 Andretti is the best of the four Andretti cars there are in P4. Roman Grosjean finishes P5, before Ryan's VK for Air Carpenter Racing finishes P6. Graham Rahal for Rahal Lad. Letterman Lanigan Racing in P7, Scott Dixon for Chip Ganassi in P8, Marcus Ericsson also for Chip Ganassi in P9, before Takuma Sato in the Dale Coyne Racing car finishes P10. Christian Lingard, one of the more famous drivers from F2, finishes P11, Pato Award P12, Helio Castro Neves, the Indy 500 winner last year, finishes P14, Callum Eilard is, I believe, wait, I... I think I actually missed Ty, but I think he was P17 or P18. Um, Alexander Rossi finishes P20, and Jimmy Johnson is P23 a lap down. So I guess he will still have to improve on the road and street circuit courses. But since the next round is at Texas in a few weeks' time, I hope that he can impress and make sure that he's worth up such a good team and such a good machinery. Maybe he might finish his. Let's just hope that he can win. People are adopting his ability in IndyCar, but he's never raced at an oval in an IndyCar, so 
let's just see what happens. There is not much to talk, but just because of the surprisingly dull Indicar season opener, in my opinion. But that's everything I can prove to you guys. And let's move on to the other America Racing Series in NASCAR, where they race at the Art Club Super Speedway, which was scheduled to be a short track in 2023, but they've decided to indefinitely delay it due to how the pandemic has struck them, and they basically have to rebudget the whole thing. So we can probably see them racing at the two-mile Super Speedway for the foreseeable future. For the support race, the Xfinity Series, the number 07 Cole Custer wins for SS Greenlight Run Racing in a one-off entry. So you might see some like Cole Custer races for the Cup Series Stewart Haas Racing in the number 41. But they usually sometimes these drivers drop down to Xfinity or Truck Series just to take the occasional race for fun or maybe just to get experience for the track. But more than others, just so that they can actually race for the proper Cup Series race on the actual race day some drivers do that sometimes they don't so it's up to them to actually do it and you can often see that these drivers actually dominate those races so there are some restrictions i believe for certain season openers or um, regular season finales or whatever that they are not allowed to participate but sometimes things like these do happen but this is one of those races where a cup series driver who dropped down to the xfinity series for a occasional race does win and something else to be noted of is that with two laps to go, there was a major crash into one of the pit barrels that basically spread dust and sand everywhere. And debris, of course, that caused a rather long red flag, but that didn't affect the race result because, well, it kind of did, but it was just always a five five car race for the lead anyway with no Gregson, Trevor Bain, Josh Berrier and Tony Alfredo all in contention for the win because of the late cautions all that and strategy basically benefiting new tyres in NASCAR where you they all race on the same compound but freshest tyres do have that extra bit of goodie for a few laps before they start to wear away so sometimes when a late caution comes up it is actually beneficial to pit for new tyres but that's all you have for the support race, and we're moving up to the Cup Series, where Austin Sindri, capitalizing on his Daytona 500 victory, took pole, and but he didn't capitalize on the race start as the number eight of Tyler Reddick led led away from the early early laps, even early race, and looked on to take the win before a puncture that dropped him from contention. I believe ultimately finishes, I think, one lap down, which is quite unfortunate for him because he was actually having such a good race before disaster struck. But there was a few cautions for some spins, Chase Elliott famously being one of them, and then there's also a medium-sized crash, which, compared to what the Daytona 500 crashes were, isn't that small. Um, it was a number 23, Bubba Wallace, the only black driver in the Cup Series at the moment, and the number 6, Brad Kostowski, contact that led to basically everybody dodging or dodging those two having a collision and sometimes crashing into them. I believe if, like, five or six cars were affected by the race and if not seven or eight but it was quite a significant crash and probably the most major incident of the whole race um because of a final few laps caution it led to a few final laps grabs leading to Carl Larson who was dominating after Tyler Reddy was dropped out of contention he still took the win but it was a lot closer than it seemed Austin Dillon in the number 3 finishes P2, Eric Jones in number 43 finishes P3, the number 99 Daniel Suarez and the number 22 Joey Logano finishes your top 5. Next week they will, the Cup Series will be racing in the Las Vegas Motor Speedway alongside the Truck Series. The Xfinity Series I believe will not take part for the weekend so sometimes 
all three series will be in the same track at the same weekend. So that's just two series. Sometimes it might just be one of them, whatever, depending on the track, depending on whatever. You might even see two of the series racing at different tracks on the same weekend. But for next week, it's Las Vegas with the Cup Series and the Truck Series as supporting. And that's all you have for stock car racing. Um, coming to the other one last week was the World Rally Championships at Sweden, which led to my underdog favorite Adrian Former retiring at Saturday night due to, I believe, a transmission issue, which was unfortunate, and my 50p down the water. But Cali Rovampera dominated the whole rally, despite, I believe, no, he just basically comfortably took the win because his teammate, Elfin Evans, not only had a very, well, somewhat of a risky finish, I believe, towards the second day because of, I think he had a crash, but, and then decides to drag the car over to the timing line, but basically went in rather definitions of track, quote. But it was ultimately deemed not legal by the the rally championship committee and he took a time penalty but eventually crashed out of the rally anyway and did not finish so the whole podium was actually Calvin Pera for Toyota Thierry Neville who didn't have the best start of his rallies finishes P2 and then Esapekalapi for Toyota I believe as a part-time entry which he didn't have as much time as much resources for testing compared to maybe Sebojia who didn't take part this weekend but he finishes P3 for Toyota and well to I believe he said to him it was also quite a surprise. Um for the four team who wasn't mentioned, Gus Greensmith is the best performer of them, finishing P5. But it was overall quite a quiet rally. There wasn't any major crashes apart from Evans basically crashing his car hard enough that took him out of contention. There wasn't any scary flips down the mountain or nothing. Anything. So there's all you have to do for last week. I believe the next round is at Croatia, but it won't happen until I believe maybe a month's time. So I'll re- I'll inform you guys when it happens. But that's all you have for in terms of racing last weekend. As we move on to Formula One testing, which concluded on Friday before Alfa Romeo's car launch on the 27th of February. So all these times they've been doing in Barcelona are not quite indicative, but we can already see who's been doing the most work, who's been hitting with car, been hit with car issues, and what you basically expect. And I'll be recapping how many laps each team has done with alongside the fastest times. Mercedes was at the top of the time sheets eventually as team constructor champions with Lewis Hamilton setting a 1 minute 19.138 and 392 laps done which is the second most of the whole 10 teams. Red Bull had the fastest time in Sergio Perez with 1 minute 19.556 and 358 laps done. Lando Norris for McLaren finishes with a 1 minute 19.568 in 365 laps done so if they did a lap a day that's how many you would get. Um, Ferrari had the most laps done, 439, with Charles Leclerc finishing in a 1 minute 19.689. Aston Martin did 295 laps, with Sebastian Vettel setting a 1 minute 19.824. I believe they did a bit less laps because of one, I think they were hit with car issues on day two afternoon after, with Lance Stroll or something, but that's why they didn't have as much. Pierre Gasly did a 1 minute 19.918 for Alfa Tauri in 308 laps. Alex Albon did a 1 minute 20.318 for Williams in 347 laps. This is where we started to see some significant cuts between 
some teams and whatever, maybe Mercedes the glory run. So that's why they only had a 1 minute 19.1 and Alex Albon having a 1 minute 20.3, which is already a 1.2 second difference between the two teams. Uh, so we might be seeing some teams doing faster times. We might be seeing some teams intensely sandbagging. So it's not fully clear yet, but this is a good indicator of how far the teams are willing to push and see how it goes. Um, Alpine had Fernando Alonso in a 1 minute 21.242, which is even further back than what the gap to Mercedes was already. But they did 264 laps, and then Haas and Alfa Romeo, who were hit by major car issues, did 160 and 175, respectively, with Mazepin setting a 1 minute 21.512 and Guan Yu Zhou setting a 1 minute 21.885 for Alfa Romeo, which after the testing ended, they did reveal their new delivery for the season, which I, in my opinion is very striking and reminds me of the early days in the early 1980s when they were actually sponsored by Marlboro before McLaren, the famous Marlboro-McLaren partnerships happened. So it's a invert of those colors. I I quite like it. It's probably not the most iconic F1 livery there is to be, but I wouldn't mind having it around for the whole season. And let's just see what happens when we have the Bahrain testing in two weeks time from March 10th to 12th before the Grand Prix kicks off from the 18th to the 20th where we will see the true pace of every car when the championship points actually matter. So Mercedes probably still has this advantage over the other teams given how fast the last ones were doing but maybe Red Bull was sandbagging, McLaren was sandbagging like they were intentionally not setting as fast times and you know Mercedes were caught out red-handed maybe. Let's just hope it happens. I think a lot of the Formula 1 fans wouldn't want to see another few years of Mercedes domination, but this is what we have, this is what I can predict, so let's just hope that it works out for everyone. But that's everything I have for you for Formula 1 news this week, um, well apart from one actually, now that, I'm, now that I remember. Um, on day 3 of the testing, the night before the Russian-Ukrainian war unfortunately broke out, which nobody wants to see, but due to the has. F1 team's sponsor, main sponsor being Eurocali, which is a major Russian company, and just to cut ties with them, has basically removed all their sponsorships and had to discuss with Nikita Mazepin, their, one of their drivers, to discuss their future with the team potentially just because of how severe the war might result in and whatsoever. I know a few, a few people might want him to be out of the team, but in my opinion, Mazepin shouldn't be out just because how how Russians basically having ties with the company or whatever. I just believe that Mazepin himself should be treated as an individual and should be able to compete for the team. And that's what the FI ultimate decides that Russian athletes could, well, be allowed to compete under a neutral flag or whatever. But I don't think that Mazepin should be kicked from the team just because of how his sponsor has ties with the company or whatever. And I just hope that the war resolves soon enough and everybody can race in peace and has to receive the cash flow to develop their cars because the future does not look bright for them at the moment with having the least upset of all 10 teams. But that's all the F1 news I actually have for you now. And let's move on to the other premier series of MotoGP who will have the season open in Qatar this weekend. Um, it's at the Qatar Low Sail Circuit, which did temporarily host the Formula 1 Qatar Grand Prix last week. Last at, towards the end of last year with Fernando Alonso taking a Stanley P3 but that's besides the point. This time they're hosting the traditional MotoGP season opener like how 
borrowing is to have from basically Kappa is to MotoGP. Um, Fabio Quattraro for Yamaha will be looking to defend his title after last year and his teammate Franco Morbidelli looks to build up from his sudden promotion from the satellite team last year after some basically Maverick Vinales not being happy with Yamaha and wants to move out of the team to Aprilia and basically it kicked off all sorts of silly season in the middle of last year that I wasn't able to recap because I'm not the expert at it. But the whole result was Fabio Cataro stayed, well, basically unaffected, and Franco Mobadelli, who was racing at the satellite team, gets a sudden promotion. The For the satellite team, they've underwent a name change to something else I couldn't recall off the top of my head, but they will be fielding David Zioso and Darren Binder, which was a direct promotion from Moto3. And let's just see how Yamaha would be able to try to take on the team's title with a ever-expanding Ducati fleet with not only Jack Miller and Francesco Bagnaia will continue to lead the factory team charge. They have now got eight cars on the field, or eight bikes on the field with VR46, the Valentino Rossi-owned team joining with Luca Marini and Marco Bezzecchi and also the Grassini racing team switching from Aprilia to Ducati so there's a lot of team expansions for Ducati and let's just hope that the team with the highest horsepower does find a driver who can paint the bikes and maybe finally pounce for a championship since a very long time ago. One of the other contenders will be KTM which Red Bull KTM is their factory team keeps Brad Binder and Miguel Oliveira and their satellite team Tech 3 takes Raul Fernandez and Remy Gardner, which completely replaces their former partnership of Ica Lecuona and Danilo Petrucci. But that's how team works. They are free to drop or sign any new riders. Um, I can't really speak for them because their fantastic 2020 season has been significantly hindered by their poor 2021 performances. But it's all not all hope is lost. They don't have the enemy regulations like Formula 1 to boost them. But let's hope that they can bounce back and one other team to be looking out for is the only Aprilia factory effort this time because what used to happen is that Aprilia will build bikes for I believe Grissini and then they would just be racing those bikes and there was no factory support it's basically somewhat of a ghost team basically and most of the time they would just linger around the back but this time Aprilia decides to just say okay we will enter a factory effort and they're bringing in Maverick Vinales, which left Yamaha's factory team mid-season just because of a lot of team disputes. Vinales wasn't happy with how Yamaha was treating him as a second driver compared to Fabio. And he decides to say, okay, I'm going to sign Rapido last season. And Yamaha was happy to let them go mid-season to just get, get on with it anyway. But that's their lead driver this season. And let's just hope that maybe Vinales could finally shut the haters up after the disputes. And... That's all the major changes. Honda and Suzuki have basically their teams mostly in change. Mark Marquez still with a factory team with Paul Sparago. His brother Alex Marquez is still with the Satellite LCR Honda team with, I believe, his teammate and all that. And it's just mostly unchanged. Suzuki still runs the two bikes after being champions in 2020. Um, there was pre-season testing at Sepang and Mandalika, which is the Indonesian street, well, street circuit, quote-unquote, because of how it's designed. It's a permanent circuit that is allowed to be used as public roads when it's not racing. But I was able to pull the times up, but I believe it's just... 
that the bikes doing all sorts of testing and it can't really reflect how good teams are going to be racing come the actual season opener under the lights in Qatar this weekend. Um, if any of you is into two wheel racing, that's all I can do for you. I don't consider myself the expert, so I won't recap. In I won't preview too much of it just because I don't want to inform you guys the wrong information. And if you guys are interested, you can always Google them up yourselves. But moving on to something that I'm slightly more confident in is the Supercar season opener in Sydney this weekend. It's the Sydney Super Night, which is a race that takes place under the well towards sunset and even the night, which compared to normal Supercars format is very different. The actual race times in the UK will usually be early morning sunrise moments, maybe like 5am, 6am. So if you found yourself up one weekend feeling boring, you can, might be able to turn on TV and just find that there's a few Australian touring cars racing. And they would probably be live just because of their time zones. And it will be two races every weekend for this weekend. It's 77 laps each. So it's about a Grand Prix. F1 Grand Prix distance for each race, which is a huge stamina requirement for the touring car drivers, given it's already not as easy to drive than open wheel cars, maybe. Um, Shane Van Gisbergen will be looking to defend his title after last season's triumphants because of the main alternate rival, Scott McLaughlin, moving on to IndyCar. But he didn't win, win his Matters 1000 last last year, which he was probably hoping to win another one after winning the final, final race in 2020. Um, it's all I can really give you at the moment because sometimes teams will just enter extra cars for temporary efforts, but I'm not the expert either. But I would have to close the podcast for this weekend because of there's not going to be much racing going on until towards the end of the month when F1, WEC, IMSA and everything else kicks off at Sebring and Bahrain and all sorts of like. But that's everything I have for you today and I hope that you'll be interested somewhat in the racing that is come this weekend and come back next week for much, much more racing news that is come, I hope. This is Mental Back Page signing off and I hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks for downloading this Purple Radio podcast. For more great content and to listen live, head to purpleradio.co.uk.